0: Come to know where to run with Christopher White. everybody welcome to nowhere to run you can go to the website which is nowhere to run radio.com this is going to be a special edition it's an interview with doug perry somebody that uh, i've listened to a lot over the years and uh, he's a really interesting guy and i think you'll really enjoy the interview so we'll just get right to it here it is doug perry Fellowship of the fellowshipofthemartyrs.com first i guess if you could just sort of explain to us maybe um who you are what what uh fellowship of the martyrs is all about what um what all the associated ministries are all about and just kind of take some time and, and tell us tell us who you are
1: sure well thanks chris i appreciate the opportunity to share with you um uh, my name is doug perry and uh, i live in liberty missouri which is a suburb of kansas city and pretty much um kansas city big chunk of my life um grew up a preacher's kid missionary's kid uh, spent time in mexico uh growing up and um came back to kansas city went to college here um worked here, started businesses here and everything, and, uh, um, I, um, lifelong Southern Baptist and, um, uh, sitting in the pews, sitting on committees, teaching Sunday school, all of that, uh, in 2004, um, I was running a successful, uh, furniture store and dot-com business. We were actually named in 2005 the number four fastest growing company in Kansas City, but in 2004, I began to read some books, um, particularly uh, Revolution of World Missions by Gospel for Asia by K.P. Yohannan, which is available free on their website. If you go to gfa.org, you can you can order that free book. And it, it started to really mess me up because it was talking about the native missionaries that they send to India and that you can support these guys for about $1,000 a year and where a Western missionary couple is $100,000 a year to send them over there and they burn out in about three years and it takes about five hundred thousand dollars to train them to go so they, they get ready to go for about five years and then burn out in three years where the native missionaries are a thousand dollars a year and they're a hundred times more effective and they don't have to learn the language they don't have to learn when to burp and when not to burp and things like that you know they sleep on the floor they don't need a compound and a chauffeur they eat rice and and uh, their kids go to the schools with all the other kids and and they, it's not some foreigner coming to preach some foreign god. It's just you know the regular guy that I used to know that all of a sudden loves Jesus, and and these are folks that will give their lives. That you know they 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 know they go to seminary and 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 they pray and okay Lord where do you want me and God says go to that village, and uh, they say but 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 Lord uh, every Christian that goes to that village gets killed. Um, yeah, are you going to go or not? Okay. And the elders, you know, their seminary professors will get them on a bus and they'll take them to the edge of the village and and say, okay, um, where do you want to be buried? Well, I I like that tree over there. Uh, They're like, okay, well, go in until they're all Christians or they kill you. Okay, thanks, chief. And off they go. Okay, well, you know, I, I want to go to war with those guys. You know, all of the Christians that I knew were pretty much fat and lazy and watching big screen TVs and feeling like they had everything and going to church on Sunday and they've met their requirement and whatever. And um, so we started supporting native missionaries in India. My business was generating enough revenue and and taking care of the family. And so we we were supporting 30 native missionaries in India. Um, Gospel for Asia has about a $30 million budget, last I checked. And they've got 16 or 17,000 missionaries. The Southern Baptist Convention Foreign Mission Board, International Mission Board, has a $600 million budget and has 6,000 missionaries. Well, so, you know something's not right. So I'm all about efficiency. So as a businessman, I want to look and see where am I getting the most bang for my buck. And that seemed like a bargain to me to get the gospel into the 10:40 window into the most unevangelized part of the world for the cheapest amount of money. So. Uh, then I read a book called The Heavenly Man, uh, by, by Yun and Hathaway. Y-U-N. Brother Yun is probably responsible for 20 million people getting, uh, coming to Christ in China and is part of the underground church and at one point was the most wanted man in China because he was an underground church pastor that, uh, the government just couldn't seem to catch him or when they did catch him couldn't keep him in jail because angels kept breaking him out. And, uh, his this is just this book was all about his story and and hearing god and and seeing angels and god providing twice he's in a communist prison they've taken his bibles away and and he's just desperate for the word of god and he prays lord please get me a bible and uh he'll pray and fast for a month or a week or whatever and the jailer will come in and say read this maybe it'll make you a better person and throws a bible at him (laughs) So so repeatedly, in in communist prisons, they keep giving him the thing that he's praying for that is completely banned, and they're not going to give it to him. And uh, uh, at one point, he fasted without food or water for 74 days, uh, documented by the prison officials. Okay, 74 days without anything, no food or water, anything. And, um, you know, I'm reading this, and I'm going, man, the Baptists must be lying to me because they said none of this stuff was real and for today that the gifts of the spirit aren't real, that God doesn't talk to people anymore, that whatever. And I just started praying in 2004. I started praying and said, Lord, if this is real, I want it because, because I know that I am, I am without power. I, I, I got a form of godliness, but I lack the power thereof. We're talking about God in Sunday school, but I'm addicted to porn and all this other stuff. And I can't get free. And I can't stop sinning. And I, I, I don't hear you like I should. and, It wasn't a matter of me needing to believe in him. I I knew that he was real since I was a kid, and and times in my life when it was really important, I I heard him, you know, you need to marry this woman, you need to start this business or whatever, but it was rare. It was like a a, a dial-up modem. You know, do, 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 and and I wanted an instant on cable modem. I want to hear him all the time. I, I want I want a T three fiber optic to the throne room. You know, and if that's real and if that's possible, well then then I'll give up anything for that. And uh, I met this guy. Uh, who was a revivalist from New Zealand that had been sent to Kansas City um, because of some of the promises over Kansas City for revival, and and for ten years, God had been working on him, and and finally. Got him here, and I got an email from somebody that I never, I never heard from him again. I don't know who they were. Might have been an angel for all I know, but I just got an email saying, "Hey, you need to talk to this guy. He kind of sounds like you," because I've been writing some on the internet about efficiencies and uh, and 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 if if the church. Uh, were a business, we would immediately close half of the buildings, consolidate everybody in a fewer buildings, sell off the property, get them out of debt, and start doing, you know, the things that are on our mission statement, like feeding the hungry and clothing the naked, it, which wasn't getting done. And from a business perspective, I just look at this thing and say, how this is this is insane. Nobody but Satan would spend our money this way. You know, 96% of everything the Christian church brings in, we spend on ourselves, on our own shows, fattening up the people that are already full, uh, instead of feeding those that are starving to death. Less than 1% of our budget goes to the third of the world that has never once heard the name of Jesus. You know, how can that How can that be a, a good investment? How can that be a good idea? So I started seeing that something's really, really wrong. We start a new denomination every other day. Um, I got statistics for all this on my website, by the way. I'm I'm just talking fast, but there's references on the website Um, in a book I wrote called called The Apology to the World. um, There's statistics and bibliography for all of this stuff, and um, I just uh, I was a part of a megachurch here that one of the biggest Baptist churches in Missouri, and I realized we're spending one percent on the poor. You know that can't be a good idea. And then I, I go to the pastor and I say, "What about this stuff? I'm I'm reading these books about China and Africa and other places, and people getting raised from the dead and healed, and and you know angels showing up. Well, that's not real. And for today, all that ended when the book of when the, when the New Testament was done being written, and and that was just for the book of Acts. I'm like, you know what? Pull me out of the Rolodex. I, I've never not been a member of a church my whole life but I I don't even know how to do it, but delete me from the file because you're lying to me and I know you're lying to me. And, and I don't, I don't mean to say that you're doing it on purpose or that you're being hateful, but you probably don't even know that you're lying, but I'm sure you're lying. So just, you know, I, I just couldn't go back. I couldn't, I couldn't sit there, um, singing and dancing and raising my hands while people are dying and pretending like everything's okay. And, uh, I met this guy from New Zealand and, He said, I really like what you're saying, and and I know that God's called you to say some hard things, but uh, I think what you're missing is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I said, well, I've had the Holy Spirit since I was six years old, thank you very much. And uh, he said, I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about the redemption of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Something happened to Peter and the apostles in Acts chapter 2. I mean, before that, they'd walked with Jesus. They acknowledged that he was the Lord and everything. But when a barmaid, you know, uh, uh, confronts Peter, he says, oh, I didn't know him. I I got nothing to do with those people. And three times, renounces the Lord. Then in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes on him. He goes before the Sanhedrin. He's making incredible sense. Nobody can argue with him. They can't figure out how plain old fishermen are making so much sense, except he must have been with Jesus. Then they whip him and throw him in jail, and he goes back home praising God and thanking. He doesn't squeal. He doesn't give up. Something happened in those couple of chapters between him, you know, denying Christ and then being grateful that he got whipped. And uh, and I got to admit, whatever that was, I didn't get it in the Baptist church. And, uh, and I wanted it. So Andrew invited me down to a home group that they were having for them to pray for me, specifically to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit that's promised in Acts chapter 2. Now, I, I didn't have any concept of any. I'd never been around Pentecostal charismatic churches maybe a t- couple of times in my life. I heard somebody speaking in tongues at a second chapter of Acts concert or something, and somebody stood up and said something, and I didn't understand, and somebody set up, stood up and said something in English, and everybody clapped, and I went home and I asked my dad, who, who was the pastor, and he said, well, that was that was tongues, and it sounds like they interpreted mm-hmm. it and did it right. And my dad didn't deny that it was real, he just ignored the whole subject altogether, because you just can't, uh, you know, you just you just can't. Even missionaries, even as I was growing up, um, we'd sit around the campfire or something with five of the of the missionary dads or uncles, Uncle Bob and Uncle Steve and whatever that you'd call them, and, and uh, somebody would say, "Come on, tell me the craziest thing you ever saw." And they'd look around to make sure nobody from the convention or no supporters were there to hear it. And then they'd tell you about seeing bullets do right angles and seeing angels tell them not to go into that village and driving on an empty tank of gas for a week and, and, and all kinds of miracles that they could not tell somebody on furlough because they'll kick you out of the convention. And uh, so I, I knew God did that stuff, and, 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 and I was hungry to To see the power of God not not for the sake of signs and wonders or whatever, but just because I knew I was powerless, and I knew there had to be more anyway so november twenty third two thousand four uh, I'm down at a home group here in blue springs uh, on on the east side of Kansas City at Andrew's home groups for them to pray for me and and they put a chair in the middle of the room and lay hands on me and and they're praying in tongues, which is kind of me because I've never been around that before. But I don't care. Uh, you pray however you want as long as you get me to the goal line because I want more Jesus. And I didn't pray for tongues or miracles or whatever. I prayed for wisdom because wisdom is at the top of the list. And Solomon prayed for wisdom, and God gave him everything else besides. And so I figure I want to see through the eyes of Jesus because that's maximum wisdom. And uh, And I prayed a crazy prayer. I prayed... Uh, with all my heart, I said, Lord, show me anything that stands between me and you and I'll repent of it. I said, Lord, I don't care what it costs, my business, my life, my wife, kids, prison, torture. I just want to be the most dangerous person to Satan on the planet. (laughs) And, and, okay. I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit inspired me to pray that because I didn't mean, I didn't mean it in a competitive way. Like I want to be more dangerous than brother Yun or, or brother Andrew or somebody else. I just I just meant, you know, Lord, I, I feel like I've got a pop gun and I want to nuke. I want to make a difference. I know that it's bad. I know that it's dark. I don't know what to do about it. I need the power of God uh, to show up, and I'm willing to be used in whatever way you want me to be used, um, you know, it, it, no matter what the cost. I didn't expect that he'd take me up on all of that, but he pretty much did. Um, and, and I'm grateful that at the time he didn't say, oh, yeah, I'm going to take all of it. Because <laughs> I might have squealed, honestly, but um, uh, but it was a courageous prayer to pray, and uh, I'm I'm glad that that he did whatever to me so that I could. I, I, for about 45 minutes, I'm on my knees. They put a chair in front of me, and I'm like, I'm not going before God in a chair. You can just bend over, and so I'm on my knees, and they're laying hands on me and praying, and and really sincerely praying for my good and praying for me to hear God and. And I'm not, I don't want to receive anything from them. I'm here for Jesus, you know. And after 45 minutes of repenting for stuff, and I just said, Lord, clean me out. Show me anything that stands between me and you. And uh, like machine gun fire. I mean, even if I was kind of hearing the Lord in a rusty way before that, when you pray, Lord, show me something to repent for, he's going to answer you quick. And, uh, so right away he's like, you, you know, you're still angry at this boss that fired you three jobs ago. And okay, Lord bless cranky sister, Constance, the nun, wherever she is, I'm sorry and forgive her and whatever. And, <laughs> and you're still, you know, I told you to go visit your grandma in the hospital. She's dying and she's sick and she's a widow. You're supposed to care for the widows. And that was me telling you and you ignored it. And I'm like, yeah, I know it was you and I, I, I'm sorry. And you know, whatever. I, I don't have a big resume of, of crack and, you know, murdering people and getting tattoos of skulls and crossbones, or you know, that's. Uh, but but there was a lot of pride and a lot of rebellion against God and a lot of a lot of sin and and other stuff that that He wanted me to get cleaned up for. And after about forty-five minutes of repenting, one of the last things was uh, when I was in college, I was in a fraternity and I took an oath to God uh, not to talk about the ritual of the fraternity. And the Lord says, "Yeah, I didn't tell you to do that." And at the time I was telling you not to do it and you knew it and you heard it, you knew it was me and you did it anyway. I'm like, Oh man, uh, that Lord, that's 20 years ago. He's like, doesn't matter. We want this cleaned up. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. And please forgive me. I renounce it. And, And then he's like, well, then you were the ritualist and you made other people do it for two years. Oh shoot. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry, Lord. You're right. And, uh, after that, it seemed like that was kind of the last, the last thing he needed cleaning up at the time. Since then, there's been other stuff that he's brought up. That, but at, the, at that night anyway, that was the last of it. And, and Andrew, for whatever reason, felt to stand me up. And I'm standing there, and I've been praying to see through the eyes of Jesus. And the Lord says, you wanted to see through the eyes of Jesus, I'll show you. And, and this vision starts, and it's what they call an open vision, meaning it doesn't matter whether your eyes are open or not. It's just like you're watching a movie play, and you can't stop it and um and believe me if you're having one you know this is not your imagination it is just it just takes you over and you're just watching this movie and more than watching it it's not just 3d it's you're feeling it and smelling it and and everything and all of a sudden i'm up over the world looking down on the planet and america is kind of on the left hand side and there's this black like like octopus ink spreading out from America all over the world, little tendrils of ugliness spreading all over the world. And immediately I feel like I've got an ice pick in my heart, in my chest, and I'm groaning and aching because I can feel the wrath of God at how angry he is at this blackness that's spreading out from America all over. And I'm groaning and crying, and and, and I was, you know, pretty well crying before this, but now all of a sudden I- I'm seeing the urgency and how angry he is, and I can feel like a pounding in my chest. and. And I'm like, oh God, this is horrible. I had no idea. And on the right side of the world is a reel of faces of little kids whipping by. And uh, it's like a like a loop coming up and over the uh, up and over the planet. And it'll it goes real fast, and it'll stop. And there's a kid in Asia, and he's dying and lost. And it's because of the black stuff. And a kid in the Philippines, and he's dying and lost, and it's because of the black stuff. And a kid in Africa, and, and prosperity gospel is being preached at, you know, give me your last chicken so I can get a jet plane, and God will bless you, and, and it's because of us. And, and a, a kid in Thailand, and, and a pastor is up there sounding just like Jimmy Swaggert, because we heard this on the satellite, and this is how you're supposed to preach and cry, because this is what the Americans do. And, and, and I, on the one hand, I can feel the love he has for these little kids and the wrath for what we're doing to these little kids. And I'm begging and and pleading and snotting, and I'm like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And um, whatever I have to do, whatever it takes, please, Lord, how are we still here? We should be toast by now. This is horrible. I had no idea. Please, Lord, we'll fix it. I'm sorry. And for about ten minutes, the faces run, and I'm bawling and snotting and crying and, and repenting and committing whatever. to 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 the lord if we'll just please give us a chance to make it right and after about 10 minutes the reel of faces kind of like a like the old film reels in school just click 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 and the and it kind of goes dark and the lord says you wanted to see through the eyes of jesus i showed you everybody now you're responsible And I don't expect people to believe me. When people tell me stories about 12-foot angels grabbing them by the hair and taking them to the throne room of God, I'm always asking the Lord, really, did that really happen? Is he making that up? So I'm expecting that whoever's listening to this is asking the Lord whether I'm lying or not. Uh, But but I'm not under any conviction about it because I know I'm telling the truth. But the Lord says, you wanted to see through the eyes of Jesus. I showed you everybody. Now you're responsible. I said, what do you mean you showed me everybody? That was like six and a half billion people. He says, yeah, that was everybody. And I understood that he sees us all as little kids that I thought it was just some of the kids of the world, but he sees us all that way. And it went so fast. I couldn't have picked somebody out and remember some face someday. I'm going to run into somebody. Hey, you were in my vision. You know, it was, it was way more than that. But I know people that right before they hit a deer, their whole life flashes before their eyes and, they remember every piece of glass bouncing as it shatters and the owl that's on the fence post as they drive by upside down and, you know, stuff like that. And, and, um, so God and brain power time. Okay, fine, Lord, fine. That was six and a half billion people. What do you mean I'm responsible? He says, you said you wanted to be the most dangerous person on the planet to Satan. So now you're responsible. I said, Lord, uh, you're telling lots of other people they're responsible too, right? It's not just me. He says, what is that to you? Now go. Like he said to Peter, what does it matter what I tell John? You go. You go do what I told you to do. And and he's never said that, that I'm personally, individually responsible for everybody in the world or anything like that. Uh, what he said was, you need to work, you need to pray, you need to sacrifice as if it depends on you. And don't point some finger at somebody else and say, this is your problem, you should have fixed this. Because I know when I was 16 years old, July 7th, 1984, he called me into the ministry and he said, you will serve me full time. And I said, yes, Lord. And I went to college planning on being a pastor because my dad was a pastor. How hard could it be? You know, I'm twice as smart as him. And uh, uh, But I went to the Southern Baptist Convention when I was a junior in uh, college and I saw the ugliness and the politics and I didn't want any part of it. So I ended up in the business world knowing that I was running from God, but I couldn't figure out how I was supposed to fit into the church system that we built, which to me seemed so broken. And yet I knew I was running. And uh when he started to show me that I could use my business for ministry, um, then I started to give in and say, okay, Lord, then empower me to go, empower me to do this. And uh, after he told me that, I'm sitting there groaning, and crying, and uh, I know that he just did something to me and wrecked me forever. And and we kind of sit down around the circle, and I have no concept of what baptism in the Holy Spirit should look like, but it, it wasn't their normal experience either. After an hour of groaning and snotting and weeping and crying out to the Lord and begging for mercy, so we sit around the circle, and, and uh, they're like, uh, what was that? I'm like, oh, we're so screwed. We gotta go. We gotta do something right now. I had no idea. We're in such big trouble. We gotta do something. And I just want to go home and crawl under the bed and not get out. And, uh, I tell them what I saw and I tell them what the Lord told me and they kind of are real quiet for a minute. And then one older lady that's kind of old school Pentecostal that was kind of out of church Christian and she says, well, I can really see that the Lord's working on you. Don't feel bad that you didn't speak in tongues right away. I'm like, What? I didn't even ask for that. I asked for wisdom, and he just wrecked me, just wrecked my life forever. Don't bother me with the fine print right now. And then they go around the circle talking about the gift of tongues and how they spoke in tongues a week or a month or a year after they got filled with the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to hear any of it. I just want to go home. And then finally Andrew said something that made some sense, and he said the gift of tongues is is part of the purpose is to help you pray out from under a burden that you couldn't pray out from under any other way except the Holy Spirit intercedes for you. And I said, okay, that I'm going to need. If that's what it's for, then give it to me, because that, I understand, I can't pray out from under the burden he just put on me. And, and already, for three days, my chest hurt. We had a, a, a physical scheduled anyway, because we were adopting a little girl from China. and I went to the doctor and got checked out, because I thought I was having a heart attack. I mean, it hurt that bad in my chest, for like a, like a baseball bat for three days. And uh, <clears throat> from that night on, November 23rd, 2004, can't look at porn, can't get a picture of anybody to stop my wife in my head, praying all the time, groaning, screaming, crying out to the Lord, you know, I don't recall ever seeing in a Baptist church anybody on their knees, maybe at summer camp for a week when the emotion is high and they're, you know, the 13-year-old girl you want to flirt with and went down the aisle so you go down with her, But, but I don't remember anybody on their knees crying. Uh, ever growing up but 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 my life is consumed after that with prayer and fasting he starts having me fast without food two three four days at a time just water and juice and milk or whatever and then um, I wrote this the, the apology to the world letter that's on the main page of our website that's been all over just kind of my acknowledgement of my part in this mess and that I'm going to commit at least me and my house to do something different and uh, when I wrote the letter he said now I don't want you to release it for seven days. I'm going to send 10 people to read it and you start fasting after four days without food. He says, okay, now no food or water. So I do another three days without food or water until he says it's ready to go. And, uh, I can put it out on the web and stuff. Since then, he pretty much has me fast without food or water. The first two years, it was about 200 days out of the year, uh, six, seven, eight days at a time without food or water. um, even now, it's almost every day, at least half the day, um, that he'll have me go without food or water. And then even when I do get to eat, I, I get to eat what he tells me to eat and stuff. And people can't get their head around that, uh, around obedience, to the level of, you know, should I take this phone call? What shirt do you want me to wear? What do you want me to eat? And yet Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. And I took all to be sort of literal. Like he meant all instead of like the, the Sunday morning between ten thirty and twelve all, and uh anyway, so soon after that uh the furniture store, about a week after I, that that prayer meeting, I uh, got a family of missionaries that shows up from Canada because God said to go to Kansas City and volunteer at my furniture store and these are not regular missionaries; these are freak missionaries, you know, four kids in a station wagon driving wherever god says to go working on indian reservations trusting god for everything kind of you know not my southern baptist traditional missionaries and they're there to help me hear god better and and uh understand what it means like to be radical and dangerous and make a difference and then more people start showing up and uh we start having prayer meetings at the furniture store because we're closed at night anyway and and then a guy shows up and says, hey, can, would you like me to drop off some food, you know, and uh, okay, and then people are bringing clothes and household goods, and, and we uh, the back half of the furniture store is all devoted to being a food pantry and clothes closet, and, and God says, is this your business or my business? And I said, well, it's your business, Lord, and he says, well, if it's my business, I can run it however I want, right? I said, yes, Lord. He said, then turn off the marketing. Trust me, I'll make the phone ring. Oh, I'm like, Lord, I spend twenty thousand dollars a month on internet marketing I'm a dot com company you don't turn off the marketing you know my employees knew within thirty minutes if 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 the marketing runs out of money for the paper clicks and the banners within thirty minutes the phone stops ringing. I put money in thirty minutes later the phone's ringing again I mean that's how targeted we were, and I gather all of, April fifteenth two thousand and five I gather my twelve or thirteen christian employees and i said look this paycheck is good but i don't know about the next one we're going to trust god all the way from now on i'm going to turn off the marketing because he says he's going to make the phone ring pretty much all but one left and uh within a few weeks they were all gone replaced by volunteers missionaries from australia and ohio and all over that god had sent to work at the furniture store and we're feeding hundreds of people and, and little old ladies that are sleeping on the floor. We get them a mattress and hotels are donating stuff, and it just was real wild ride. Um, and for about a year and a half, the Lord kept the doors open. Uh, my Internet traffic drops from 2 million unique visitors a year to background noise. Um, but somehow he keeps the doors open for a year and a half uh, with no marketing and no payroll. Um, And, uh, then in the summer of 2006, the Lord says, walk away, don't look back. I want you to serve me now. I'll pay the bills. And, uh, I said, Lord, what do you want me to do with the business? He says, anybody that sets his hand to the plow and looks back, is not fit for the kingdom, walk away, don't look back. And, uh, I was obedient to do that. And, uh, they pretty much threw the whole thing in the dumpster, whatever the maintenance guy didn't take home. And, uh, I didn't look back and he's been faithful to take care of it and somehow clean it all up and make it okay Um, and uh, a lot of lessons through all of that I'm simplifying so much experience and spiritual warfare and people getting healed and and seeing people delivered of schizophrenia and addiction and instantly delivered from methamphetamines and methadone and, and all kinds of stuff that happened during that time and suffice it to say that I think the Holy Spirit picked me up and flipped me over, shook me real hard, and all the Baptists fell out. Um, and we learned how to get out of his way and just let him be in charge. So we've never had a, a regular meeting. Um, you know, everybody come at Sunday at 1030. We'll make sure the Holy Spirit's here, and we'll tell him to leave by noon so you can go watch the football game. It's just not um, something I'm willing to do uh, after I've seen how much it grieves God for us to put him in a box and tell him what to do. Um, so we've just let the Lord organically as the spirit leads, grow things. And, uh, after the business shut down, I spent about six months driving around the country. Um, the Lord said, go, I had a hundred bucks and my van, uh, at that point, the would, I'd I'd taken out a hundred thousand dollars out of the equity in my house and pretty much given it away, paid off debts, given it to the poor. Um, my wife thought I was nuts, um, You know, filed for separation, took the kids, didn't want anything to do with me because I was full of Satan because God would never do this. God would never tell somebody to sell all you have and give it to the poor. (laughs) Even though I can show you the verse where Jesus told somebody that exact thing, but we've rationalized it to mean that, oh, no, he couldn't possibly have meant that. Well, they don't believe in India or China that he didn't mean that. It's in America, in the West, where we think, oh, God would never tell you to give away your white picket fence and your 2.3 kids and your four-bedroom house. God's just not like that. God wants you to be prosperous and, and rich, and God wants to bless you. Um, but other places in the world where Christians are getting macheted to death and burned alive and whatever, they understand that... uh when you get baptized, you better mean it. You better mean, you know, I'm never going to go back to my village. I'm never going to see my family again. I'm probably going to get killed. But I don't care. I want Jesus. And, uh, you know, I'd rather go to war with them, um, than most of the American Christians I know. So, um, I just committed myself to, to, uh, do whatever it takes. And, uh, we started a website called FellowshipOfTheMartyrs.com. And, uh, it's, uh, it's just a statement that that's what the church is supposed to be the word martyr is from the greek word martus and it means a witness and it didn't mean those who die for their faith uh, until the christians would not change their witness would not change their testimony and even in the face of lions and boiling oil and crucifixion and whatever they would not back down and they would not change their mind so the word witness got to be associated with the christians who would die rather than change their story, rather than back down and deny Christ. And, um, you know, the Muslims that flew the planes into the World Trade Center, you know, we think they're martyrs, but it was the Christians that invented the word, and and not by killing other people, but by, by being willing to sacrifice everything rather than back down. And uh, a lot of places in the Bible where the Lord calls us to be witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, um, to go into all the world and be witnesses, that word is martus. He's saying, go into all the world and be martyrs, even even to the death if you have to. But don't back down and don't be lukewarm. And uh, so the fellowship of the martyrs is not a, a, a church that you can join or 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 something that you know where we're trying to get people to sign up or anything like that. It's just a statement that this is what the body of Christ is supposed to be, that we are supposed to be dead so that it's Christ in us that lives. Romans 7 talks about the, the reality that that um, if we are baptized into him, then it's Christ that lives in in us, not us. And so if the day comes, when the day comes, which I'm sure it's going to, that somebody puts a gun to my head or, or some other way says, deny Christ or I'm going to kill you. Uh, I'm gonna say, dude, I hate this place. I want to go home. I've been dead for years. If if that's my bullet, pull the trigger. But if that's not my bullet, you better pray real hard because an angel's gonna cut you in half, or the gun's gonna blow up, or something. Because you can't kill me if God doesn't want me dead. So why am I gonna be afraid? You know, over and over in Fox's Book of the Martyrs, it talks about people that willingly, happily, singing songs, walked into the Colosseum to be fed to the lions. Um, and that's not the kind of stuff we're preaching in Sunday school. Um, we're preaching some kind of ski trip, you know, family fun time, ski ball kind of, uh, Christianity. I'm sorry. Was that too subtle? Do you think people will understand what I'm getting at? And, uh, um, you know, church is not a better church is not a bigger, nicer building with better child care and and, and better music. You know, a, a true church should be sharing with each as they have a need and sacrificing and nobody had a want and they loved each other and they were known by their love and they shocked the community in Jerusalem. They shocked them because how are these Jews and Gentiles getting along? Gentiles are so filthy to the Jew to, to a righteous Jew, a Gentile, if he drinks out of a cup of yours, you cannot wash it enough. You have to break it and destroy it. You know, if their shadow touches you, you have to go cleanse yourself. And somehow they're hugging, and they're, having, they're sharing food, and they're working together, and whatever, because they, they have Christ in common, you know, and, and it shocked the world. In John 17, the last prayer he prayed that was that we would be one, like he and the Father are one. Talking to us, praying about us. And we're as far from one as you can get, you know. Even in this little town, i got 52 congregations, most of whom won't talk to each other, you know. And and my vision all along has simply been to have a family reunion out in the park. We've got a a website called thechurchofliberty.com. And it's just a statement that there is a body of Christ in Liberty, Missouri, and we ought to start acting like it. There's, that's the only thing in the Bible, Church of Ephesus, Church of Laodicea, Church of Smyrna, Church of Jerusalem, the ecclesia, the, the church, those who are called out that live in a particular town. We were never supposed to divide up into the church of the Holy Saturday, not Sunday of Peter, not Paul, you know, first united this or that. It, it, that, that is all abhorrent to the gospel. He says, I, I, 1 Corinthians 3 says you're carnal. I cannot refer to you as spiritual, you're carnal, because you're picking teams and you're refusing to love each other and understand that the last prayer Christ prayed before he went to the cross was that we would be one, because then the world would know that God sent Jesus. The best evangelism method of all is when the Christians get along and love each other in in, in crazy, sacrificial, unstoppable ways. And then the world looks in and says... You got blacks and whites and Asians living together. You got drug dealers. You got murderers. You got all these people under one roof. You're loving each other. And how is this possible? It has to be Jesus. There's no other explanation. It has to be Jesus. How are you still getting along? You're, you're, you know. And it, is that what we're seeing in the in the church of America, or are we seeing that if we don't like the color of the carpet, if we don't like the new pastor, if we don't like the chandelier, we're going to move across the street and start our own rebel church? To, to compete with this one because we can't agree with you. It's it's a horrible state of affairs. Anyway, so after my trip around the country, <laughs> um, feel free to ask a question at any time. Um,
0: well, sure. I mean, if you, I would kind of transition into maybe the Liberty disaster relief and all the things sure. that you're doing over there. Handy. Okay, thanks.
1: After my trip around the country, I get back to Liberty, and um, the Lord had provided – Some some finances uh, a lady that felt from the Lord to sell her house and uh, um, and lay the money down for the use of the ministry and we rented a townhouse um, in this one little complex here in Liberty which is kind of the armpit of Liberty which um, is not really saying much this isn't like inner city Detroit or anything you know this is uh, suburbia essentially but we've got drug dealers and everything you can imagine within a couple hundred yards and. Uh, so we rented the four-bedroom townhouse, and we started inviting folks over that needed the place to stay. And um, Liberty is this sweet little Mayberry of a suburban little town where they don't want people to think there's problems. They don't want anybody to think that there's homelessness, even though there's a thousand homeless people in this county. They don't want people to believe that there's hunger, even though there's all kinds of kids going to bed without meals and on school lunches that don't eat on the weekends and stuff like that. So... It, it's I knew that if I went to the city council, uh, or the mayor and said, I want to start a homeless shelter, they wouldn't do it. Um, so I just started renting townhouses and inviting my friends over, you know, what are they going to do? And, uh, so then we got a second one and, uh, more people started to come and people on the internet are liking what we're having to say. And, and a guy in Alabama, God says, go to Liberty, get healed. And so he comes up here addicted to methadone, planning on staying for four days. And, uh, we pray for him, and he gets instantly delivered. No withdrawals, no nothing, completely free from a, a long-standing addiction to painkillers. And God says, now, don't go home. This is where you're supposed to be. But, Lord, I got a I got a boathouse. I got a lake house. I got a boat. I got a Porsche. I got, a, you know, don't worry about it. Don't look back. So with four days' worth of clothes and his pickup, he's been here for two years because uh, God said this is where you're supposed to be. And other people... From around the country, God, that, that that can't find a church, that can't find any place where they can get planted and serve the Lord, and and that's that's true, and that tries to get out of His way and let them do what they're called to do, um, start showing up, um, and and along the way we got people that are that are homeless and a single mom with a baby got thrown out on the street, broke up with her boyfriend, and there's nowhere to send her. There's no homeless shelter on the north side of Kansas City. Um, and the ones down in the inner city are, um, well, not really places I'd want to spend the night, uh, if I didn't have to. And so then we get three townhouses and we get four townhouses. Um, now we've got about 55 people staying with us in six townhouses. Um, we've got two food pantries. We've got a free store where people can come get clothes and, and household goods and furniture. Um, we're harvesting, uh, in addition to being a part of the food bank downtown, we're, we're harvesting grocery stores, stuff that would be going in the dumpster, Um, it's not really bad. I mean, uh, the, the date on the package is the sell by date. It's not, it's the good, it's going to kill you by date. You know, (laughs) hot dogs are never going to go bad. You know, it's, um, Twinkies and stuff like that will last forever. So, um, you know, damaged boxes and produce that maybe has got a few more spots on the banana than we'll sell to stupid Americans, but they're still perfectly good, you know, I grew up in Mexico. You go to the market. There's a big hunk of beef with flies on it. He shooes the flies off, hacks you off a piece. You take it home and cook it. You know. Um, uh, anyway, so uh, I, our standards have become so so crazy. Um, last year, we distributed about five hundred thousand pounds of food. Um, we uh, from a couple of minivans out of a two car garage. You know, this is not some well funded ministry uh whatever personal money I had is long gone. We entirely are depending on the Lord to provide and um there'll be days when the rent's due on the townhouse and the sheriff's coming to evict us and the landlord's giving us as much uh mercy as he can and the night before I get a PayPal from the Netherlands for twenty eight hundred dollars from a gardener with four kids I've never heard from, never met, never talked to, but God told him to take money out of his savings account and send it to us. And uh that's really humbling um, to see over and over and over how God provides. I've got a wall in the living room covered with disconnect notices and eviction notices and, and last minute times when the Lord provided just before it was going to get turned off or just, in, you know, uh, I'd get a check in the mail, go to the bank and cash it, come home. And as I drive in, the 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 electric company guy is right there to ask me for the exact amount of money that i just got from the banker he's going to cut it off time after time after time after time as well as people that we've seen come in here take a bus or a plane i got a couple coming next weekend we just had a a, a, um somebody that was in here that's a a doctor of internal medicine that had that needed some deliverance and had all kinds of things messing with them that, that they needed to get free from um and And went home radically transformed um and and free and with the joy of the lord and and so many burdens lifted and um so we've developed lots of experience dealing with demons and praying for healing and and seeing God uh, move in in people's lives and more than that um, seeing people seeking for something higher for holiness and for hope and for liberty. Uh, We've uh, – libertydisasterrelief.com is our website where we – is is kind of the arm of what we do that responds to local needs in the community. Uh, The Church of Liberty is, is not a building. It's not a certain time when everybody meets. It's just a statement that if you live in liberty and you love Jesus, then you're part of the Church of Liberty and maybe people are part of the Church of Boston or a part of the Church of Dallas or whatever, but they need to understand that if that's the only biblical model, then anything other than that is foundationally wrong, and it's not going to work. So the Church of Liberty has all kinds of things they're doing, the body of Christ in liberty to feed the poor. The thing we're doing is liberty disaster relief, and, and so we know that we're just a part of the total. But over five years of praying and fasting and begging and pleading for this little town, we're beginning to see the whole of the body of Christ become more sensitive to the poor, meet local needs, stop building new buildings and, and focusing on growth uh, in, in a material sort of way and, and really focus on what they can do to um, fulfill the commands in Matthew 25. It says that, that he'll, he'll gather the sheep on his right hand and the, and the goats on his left hand. And the final exam is all about did you feed me? did you clothe me? did you visit me when i was sick? did you visit me in prison? you know. and that it's not that salvation is about works. but if our salvation is true and if we acknowledge jesus as lord and those are the things on his heart, then they should be natural for us. and
0: uh right. so let let's talk about that a little bit cuz that is that you're the go-to guy on uh you know, as far, uh, as far as giving to the poor and things like that, and just really serving in that way. I've been... Uh, the Bible's obviously full of verses about the poor, some 300 verses or something like that. Um, probably more than that, but um, anyway, if you could sort of tell us, why do you think God is so... Um, what what do you think it is about the poor? And then also kind of help us out there uh, if we don't have a heart for the, for the poor, what does that mean, and how do we get it? So sort of try to get all that in there.
1: Sure. Um well, he certainly um one of the one of the criticisms that I've had um, <clears throat> repeatedly for people is just that uh, in the church is that they don't appreciate the humble things that they don't they're unwilling to um to to really see the things that the Lord values. Um, He says that it's the poor that are rich in faith. Matthew 5 talks about the the Beatitudes, and it talks about um, who is going to inherit the kingdom of God. And it's the meek and the poor and the peacemakers and the broken and the, the oppressed and the downtrodden and whatever. He says, isn't it the rich people that take you to court and sue you and take all your money? It's not the poor. You know, over and over. There's lots and lots of verses. And um, Psalm 41 said, blessed is he that considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. He will be blessed upon the earth, and, and thou will not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing, and thou wilt make all his all his bed in his sickness. So, um, you know, uh, um uh, proverbs fourteen twenty one says he that despises his neighbor sinneth, but he that has mercy on the poor happy is he. Um, <clears throat> probably one proverbs seventeen five says Whoso, whosoever mocks the poor reproaches his maker um, and he that is glad at calamities shall not be unpunished and that probably sums it up more than anything else that <clears throat> that you just don't understand the nature of God if you don't have an appreciation for for the poor, if you don't have a concern for the poor. Jesus didn't come as a as a rich king in a palace, as a conqueror on a white horse that was gonna um you know, destroy his enemies by political power and money. You know, he came as a as a a poor um kid born in a manger, um of a Of a family with no real name of a city that nobody thought anything of, and um, he 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 worked and he toiled and and you know he barely got along. The Bible said there was nothing unusual, there was nothing about him about his his countenance or his his height or anything that was out of the ordinary that would have drawn people to him. It had to be the truth of his words and the power that was in him, not not some charismatic appearance. And uh, so I, I think fundamentally, if you if you don't understand, and that's what's so grievous to me, and I think to the Lord about the prosperity gospel, about this idea that God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be wealthy and prosperous and to have the things that the world values, uh, when I think what the Lord values is scars and, t- and, st- and uh, tears and scar tissue. I've got a video about that on the website, about tears and scar tissue, that the currency of man is all about money and power. And the currency of heaven is about tears and scar tissue. And that you have to understand that the most beautiful sight to the Father in, in all of history was his son on the cross, bruised, whipped, beaten, loving so much that he that he didn't just forgive them. He prayed that the Father would forgive them he he interceded for them and he took on the sins of the world including the sins of the people doing that to him at that time you know he 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 sucked in all of the badness and 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 released to the father all of the goodness um that was in him and that is so sacrificial and so beautiful people say that the father turned his back when jesus was on the cross and I, i'm convinced that that's that's that can't be this is your kid's recital. This is his big moment in the sun you 're not going to turn your back. This is the most beautiful sight in history. The Bible says that it pleased him to see his son bruised why because Because those are the ones you can bless because they've suffered they've been afflicted they've gone through something they they can appreciate salvation they can appreciate redemption and and when you give them something they're going to like it. You know um, he talks about in Matthew about a rich man that threw a feast and he invited all of his friends, all of his rich friends and they said I can't come. I'm inspecting my cattle. I got a new piece of land. I got to go look at it. And none of them would come. And he said to his servant, "Go find, go out in the highways and the byways. Go out in the streets and find people." And they just go grab whoever they can on the street. And there's not enough. He says, "Now go into the go into the byways and grab the highwaymen and the robbers and whoever and bring them." And uh they appreciated it, you know, and and for the first two years, um, the Lord sent me talking to the pastors. We need to be one body. What is it going to take? Why can't we be one? Can't we work together? Why can't we coordinate our resources? Why can't we, you know, you know, nothing, nothing. Stone cold, dead walls. In some cases, I'm banned from the building for life <laughs> just for saying stuff like that. In private, not like from the microphone screaming and yelling or picketing outside. Just saying to the pastor, show me in the Bible where denominationalism is okay. And they'd say, we know you're right. We can't argue with you. We're just not going to change. Get out.
0: So, so, well, so talk a little bit about how do, um, how do people that don't have a current sort of heart for the poor and the, and the needy, how to, how to get that? How did you um, come about that?
1: Well, it has to boil down to seeing through the eyes of Jesus. And seeing, and and I prayed that he would put his heart in me. I prayed that he would let me see people through his eyes. And that changes everything Um, on all kinds of levels. I'll be walking through Walmart and and a lady walks by me and I'll see a a snippet of a vision of sweaty uncle Ed raping her when she was five years old and, and, and and feel how the Lord felt as it was happening and feel her and smell it. and the whole thing. And I'm like, Oh God, what do I do with that? I mean, well, you want me to go hug her? No, don't hug her. <laughs> she can't. No, don't hug her. Just pray for her, because this is what she's going through, and this is the foundational thing that is in the way between her receiving the love of God, because all she knows is that that men hurt her and rape her and 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 whatever. And there's no there's no joy. There's no love. There's no whatever. And and when I see uh, we, we've got all kinds of folks. We got folks coming to our food giveaways that live in a nice house. Um, but he lost his job and they can't pay the bills, you know? And, and they're in their fifties. They never, they never got welfare. They never got food stamps. They, they're offended at the idea of it, but here they are, they wouldn't survive without the food we give them because, you know, they're, they're running on empty, but, and, and they come and they say, you know, I've really, I've really rethought. I've really had to come to grips with this and seen, this this through a different, through different eyes. And when I get a job and I get on my feet, I'm going to come help and I'm going to support this because, you know, I see it differently now. Um, we had, we had one lady, her husband dropped dead of a heart attack at 38. They're in a $250,000 house. He's the sole breadwinner. It takes four months to get the death certificate for whatever reason. Uh, they're doing an investigation. Why did this guy, you know, die? Is there foul play for four months? The insurance doesn't pay out. She she can't pay her electric bill. She's got no money in the bank. They're living paycheck to paycheck, and and when he clicks off, that's it. The money clicks off, and um, you know we're getting her, we're getting her boxes of groceries and helping her. Um, otherwise, she might not make it because she 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 looks too good on paper. You know she they they ask you to come bring last year's tax forms and proof of income, and they're like well, you know this the, you, you you look too good. We can't help you. But we don't ask him for any of that stuff. We say, "Are you hungry?" Yeah, okay, here's food. You know, um, we don't we don't ask him for proof of residency or proof of whatever. Um, I figure it's up to the Lord. He fed He fed five thousand. They probably didn't all work so poor they couldn't afford it, but He fed them anyway.
0: So, in regards to let's say, um, like homeless people, a lot of people have sort of different things they have in their head, like you know, I'm. I'm not going to give anything because they're just going to spend it on drugs or whatever, those kinds of things. How yeah. do you, what, what sort of, what do you say to that? that, that?
1: Well, my, um, my first response to everything is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which is trust the Lord your God with all your heart, lead not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct your paths. So when it comes to money, you need to look and say, okay, what's going to get me the most treasure in heaven per dollar? Is it the new chandelier in the sanctuary or helping the homeless. I mean, which is more after God's heart? Um, when it comes to somebody standing on the street corner, there's a lot of times the Lord tells me just drive on by, don't even look at him, don't give him. And there's times when the Lord has made me go back and give him 50 bucks or give him every penny I had in my pocket, and not knowing, and the and the Lord doesn't have me say now make sure and buy food with this. They'll spend this on alcohol. I, I don't because the Lord said give it to him. The Lord didn't say lecture him. The Lord said, give it to him and let me take care of it. Um, I've seen people abuse it. Um, we've got people staying with us. They're not all Christians. Some of them just needed a place to stay. This is not a convent. This is a hospital. And and maybe they come here for help, or maybe they just come here because they needed a roof and they don't really like Jesus. But my, my job is to open my arms and get abused if I have to get abused. Um, certainly Jesus was being taken advantage of. Judas was stealing money out of the person. He knew it. The Lord knew it, and he just, you know, whatever, God will take care of it. There will be more. It will be enough, whatever. Um, so ultimately I have to tell people, you know, listen to God. Um, I have this sort of tough love thing where, you know, if you're an alcoholic but you won't admit it till you're sleeping in the gutter and eating out of a dumpster, let's just drive you down there now and get it over with. You know, so here's 50 bucks. Go drink yourself silly, and then maybe you'll realize how much you need God and whatever. We, You know, we had a guy here. One time he comes to me he he's uh had a problem with alcoholism, and i 'm sitting at the dining room table and he comes and he says uh, uh give me twenty dollars and he's already been drinking. I know that he 's already kind of warm, and I can smell it on him he 'm like i am not just going to give you twenty dollars, you know i 'm going to pray about it and ask the lord he's like don't don't pray about it, just give me twenty dollars <laughs> i 'm like, come on and i 'm like lord uh." And he's like, oh, yeah, give him $20. And I'm like, come on, born of a virgin, raised on the third day, sit to the right hand of God, Jesus came in the flesh? Yep, it, it's me, give him $20. <laughs> okay, and I'm like, why am I giving him money, Lord? He says, it'll sink him. Okay. Then he says, give me the keys to the van, to the ministry van. I'm like, come on. And the Lord says, yeah, let him take the van. Okay, so I give him the keys to the minivan, and uh off he goes, already warm. I don't know if he's over the legal limit already, but he's about to be uh one of the ladies one of the neighbor ladies uh uh wants a ride to go down to the liquor store to get some cigarettes or something, so he takes her on the way four blocks from here. he decides he's going to go see his ex-wife twenty minutes away and because he's all nostalgic and drunk and whatever, and kidnaps basically the other lady and and they're driving off to the other side of Kansas city and he gets pulled over and gets a DUI. And I get a call from her saying, uh, uh, Doug, um, the police officer wants to know they're arresting him. Uh, the police officer wants to know if you would like the car impounded or if you want me to drive it home. I'm like, you got a driver's license. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, yes, please. Could you please drive my van home? <laughs> so she drives my van home. No worse for wear. He's in jail. Uh, and you know, this was after he promised me he'd stop drinking and do a 21-day rehab and then reneged on it. So, and the Lord's like, I'll take care of it, you know. Was that worth 20 bucks to teach him whatever I'm going to teach him and I'm like, yeah, okay, Lord, thank's Lord. Um, I mean, that's living way out on the edge. And and I know that's like way out there. And the Lord's had me do some stuff that most people would look at and say that's just you know, That can't have possibly have been God. But when you step out on that limb and then you cut it off behind you and you watch him catch you, you see, well, you know, maybe that was God because I didn't hit the ground and go splat, you know. Um,
0: Well, think of what we have. uh, What about for, um, you know, people that may be listening to this that certainly I hope this is inspiring people to do some radical things. Uh, and hopefully they won't even be considered radical once people start to do the, those kinds of things. But right. what kind of beginner-type things can people do? Do you have any ideas for what what people could do to either help the homeless or the orphans or widows? Or what kind of is there anything sure. that you would suggest? Well, my experience, people people have come to me and and they call me and they say, I, I've tried every
1: church in town. I can't find any of them that are that are really loving, that are really hearing God. They're all twisted up in one way or another, and. Uh, and I, i don't know i don't know where to go i don't i don't think there's any real christians in my town and i said i tell you what you get the phone book and you find out who's caring for the widows and the junkies and the and and getting the girls out of prostitution and and that's probably somebody that's a lot closer to god than you think they're probably hearing god pretty good and um so the first thing you can do if you're If you're out there and you're like, I want to do something, but my my church doesn't have any homeless ministry. They don't even want them around. They'll probably call the cops on them if they show up. You know, what do I do? Well, the first thing is to find somebody that's already doing it and go help them. And, you know, I I tell people, look, um, we're doing everything backwards. We, We take missionaries that have a heart for the lost, and then we pay them horrible little salaries and send them to raise their kids in the Amazon and preach the gospel, you know, in, in, in bug ridden horrible conditions with not enough budget to do anything while we build a gold crusted, crusted cathedral. And that should be the exact opposite. When we send somebody out to the front lines, we should send them equipped. We should send them with, we should have a blitz of resources and and here's help them dig a well, help them show um, how they can make a difference and how Jesus cares for that village instead of just, you know, this poor little white couple that's going to burn out and get sick and go home in three or four years, you know, because they're not supported. And they've got to come home every four years to beg for a little bit more a $20 a month donation from your church to keep them alive. Well, uh, you know what? If you don't want to deal with the poor, you know, I, I stood in front of a pastor's house here in town, and I, I took him <laughs> – Every once in a while, I'll take pies to all the pastors in town. We get a, a whole lot of extra or something from the grocery store, and I'll just go knock on the door. Hey, it's me again. Here's a pie. God bless you. And I'm talking to this pastor, and I said, so uh, um, your kids are grown and gone, right? Yeah. Well, this is sure a nice house. Oh, thanks. Yeah, we've been here for 20 years. I said, how many bedrooms you got? Well, four. It's just you and the wife? Yeah. So you got three empty bedrooms, right? Could I send some of my overflow of homeless people over here? well, we'll pray about that. <laughs> and that's the last I hear from him. Okay. You know, if, if you don't want to get your hands dirty, if you don't want the homeless guy that you're not sure, maybe he's going to steal your jewelry or whatever, if you don't want him living with you, um, then fine, pay the people that will, you know, if if you want, if, you know, be grateful that God didn't call your kid to go be a missionary in the Amazon. Your kid gets to go to Harvard Fine. Well, then, you know, go go, you know, honor the kid that is willing to go to Ecuador or Colombia or India or, or whatever preach the gospel in Iran and support them. You know, so the first thing is find somebody that is really doing the work of the Lord. Um, if you like what we're doing, and if you're around Liberty, come help. Come down to the park and feed some folks. Volunteer at your food pantry in your city if you feel like they're doing the work of the Lord. And, and not just humanitarian relief. I mean, you know, Greenpeace and, and Peace Corps. and There's all kinds of NGOs out there that will give away food, but, but it needs to be led by the Spirit of God. And it needs to be having an impact in sharing the gospel and praying with folks and touching their lives for, for the Lord, not just feeding tummies. Because and, and, we're not just here to feed them in the natural, we need to feed them spiritually, and they're poor in spirit, not just poor in tummy, and uh, so, if, if you find somebody that is doing a good work, then help them, you know, because they're starving, I guarantee you, the people with that kind of heart have given everything away, I mean, here, we run perpetually, praying in all the dollars, and once in a while, we'll get, somebody here will inherit some money, and they'll lay it down for everybody for the use of the ministry and to help everybody and share with each as they have a need, like the book of Acts says. Most of the time we're praying in every dollar. And uh, just just to get the message out is hard because people don't want to hear this. You know, I'm grateful to you, Chris, for an opportunity to share this with however many people are listening because so much of the thing we call church is unwilling to say um, that all means all. don't get up on Sunday morning and sing, I surrender some, some to Jesus, I surrender, I surrender some, you know, you're lukewarm. He's going to spew you out. Um,
0: So what is your, in your experience, what is the spiritual condition of a lot of the, let's say, homeless people? Uh, Are they receptive to the gospel? What, what do you find in that regard?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because they're hungry. And, and see, we will take out, we'll get a truckload of food, um, and we'll just go knock on doors in neighborhoods we, where we know there's a lot of need and say, hey, we're from Jesus. Here's some t- potatoes. You know, uh, what do you mean? Well, Jesus said to come. We got extra food. I got yogurt and potatoes. <laughs> do, do you like yogurt and potatoes? You know, because I'll have 2,000, 3,000 pounds of, of potatoes. Or this last weekend, it was squash, um, uh, squash and potatoes and uh, blueberries. <laughs> and we'll, we'll just knock on the door and and they're like uh what church are you with i'm like well we're part of the church of liberty Um uh, what what church are you with well I, I i go to the united methodist well that's not what i asked you do you live at liberty yeah do you love jesus yeah well then you're part of the church of liberty god bless you you're my sister here's some potatoes and they're like well, i don't understand and i'm like look, if you're in the book of life, then you're my brother, you're my sister, that's all there is to it, I'm supposed to take care of you. And uh, they're like, well, where do you guys meet on Sunday morning? Because I want to go there. I'm like, you're just not getting it, are you? <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter what building you're in, it matters whether Christ is in you or not. You're the temple, and and we are the church. You know, there's nothing in the Bible that says go to church, that was really nice church today, you know, let's build a bigger church, you know, that's all foreign. We are the church, and we need to start acting like the church. And um, anyway, so the probably 80% of the people that come to our food giveaways, I ask them what, if they're a member of any of the congregations um, in town. You know, I can't call them churches. They're buildings. Um, George Fox, the founder of the Quakers, refused to call them churches. He would call them steeple houses, but he wouldn't call it a church because he knew the people are the church. I like pole barn with a pointy thing on top, personally, but, you know, whatever works. But but anyway, I'll, I'll ask them, you know, are they part of any of the congregations in town? And uh, 80% of them say no, that they're not. Um, some have been hurt so bad that they don't want to go back. You know, they they went one time, and the deacon stopped them at the door and said, if you don't go home and dress nicer, you can't come in here. You know, or we don't allow people with purple hair or something like that. And they're like, screw that. I don't want no Jesus You know, if that's what they're going to be like, if that's what God is about, forget it. I don't want any. And then we have to go behind that and clean up this mess and give them the Apology of the World letter and talk to them and say, you know what, I know you're mad at church, but don't be mad at Jesus, because it's not the same thing. This thing we call church, we pretty much built on our own, that really was never what Jesus had in mind. And when they come into the free store and, and we pray with them and hold their hand, and they they feel peace and they just like hanging around there because nobody's after them we're not going to pass a hat we're not going to pressure them for you know the new parking lot or whatever and um we're just going to love them unconditionally and it doesn't matter you know how many teeth they have or what color they are or how stinky they are or whatever uh we're just going to love them at the free store god gave us a building that has uh, a shower in it and uh a little prayer room where we've kind of blocked off or so you know we got people living in their car um, that come in two three times a week and take a shower at our place
0: Um, I'm sure that makes for some you know I mean having prayed with them a lot and stuff with just some pretty exciting uh, stories and some victories and spiritual warfare and deliverance and all kinds of stuff Uh, do you have any stories that come to mind real quick that might uh, bless somebody out there
1: um Well, we've seen lots of healings. Um, I've seen people healed of lupus, fibromyalgia, epilepsy, um, gosh, broken bones, chronic back problems, heart problems, um, a a lot of fear. Uh, Shoot, fear is easy, agoraphobia, other phobias, um, people that were on megadoses of Xanax and Prozac and all that. So, you know, you know, we got more prescriptions for antidepressants than we have people in the United States. (laughs) And and Revelation 18 says Babylon bewitched all nations with their sorceries. And the word there is pharmakia, the word we get pharmaceuticals from that the spells and potions of, of pharmakia bewitched the nations. And, and, you know, if, if you're listening to this, and you're, and you're taking whatever kind of pills for whatever you're taking them for, you know, just if you pray over breakfast and dinner, pray over your medication. Just say, just say, I dedicate this to the Lord, that it would be sanctified, that it would do for my body what the Lord wants it to do for my body, and that any negative side effects that the Lord doesn't want would be canceled. I've seen people get free from, you know, 12, 13 different medications. By just starting to pray for it, you know, we know a, a eight-year-old kid had leukemia, diagnosed with leukemia, they took him in for chemotherapy, his parents prayed on the bag of medicine before they put it in his veins, and just asked the Lord to neutralize whatever of the enemy was in it, to to that that God would sanctify it, that it would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that it would accomplish his purposes. In three months, he's in remission, didn't lose his hair, no side effects whatsoever. You know, I don't know that that's going to happen all the time for everybody. The Lord is real complicated. Um, but I know the reality of this. And uh, we've certainly seen lots of examples. Just this last week, I got oh, at least three phone calls of people that were suicidal. Um, one, a lady that was at the furniture store. Um, her husband has had terminal cancer. Um, she'd got drunk the day before they were to move in their new apartment. They finally got a housing voucher. They don't have to live in their car. Um, she's got a job. And the day before some voice whispers to her to sabotage it all. And she goes and gets drunk, quits her job, punches her husband, the job, you know, she loses the job. The husband leaves. He can't be with her when she's drinking. If she doesn't have a job, they don't get the house and she's back out on the street. And, uh, has been coming volunteering at the free store and, and it comes in there just all suicidal and we just hold her hand and pray for her and just show her how to help her get her cup full and keep it full and that God knows what he's doing. And we pray for restoration in the family and we take her in to stay with us, uh, for a couple of nights, not knowing, you know, what's going to happen. And within two days he's back, got the job back, you know, back on track. You know, peace is is beginning to reign in the marriage and in the situation and stuff like that. And, um, you know, it it was just what looked like a desperate circumstance turns to victory. And not only that, but now she knows how easy it is for the enemy to steal it all if she doesn't keep her guard up. And so I can see how the Lord used it for good. And um, over and over, I understand that. Uh, the sweater wearing SUV driving, you know, suburbanites may not appreciate what God has given or what, or even what we're sacrificing to help them because they don't need anything. And I think there's a pretty good chance that God is going to have to afflict America and put us on our knees with, with a a loaf of bread costing a day's wages just so that we will turn to the Lord and care for the people around us and repent for our worldliness and our selfishness and our greed and all the other things that we value and idolize and extol in this country, and we lift up all the wrong people. Um, So it might just take seven years of tribulation to beat this thing we call church into submission. Um,
0: What kind of places or ministries uh, do you think worldwide that are helping, and any that you would recommend, also ways to volunteer, any... uh
1: Sure. Well, um, you know, in in a a person's particular town, you know, I don't know. There are some. um, Certainly, folks can get on our website on either Liberty Disaster Relief or Fellowship of the Martyrs, and they can donate by PayPal or send a check or whatever if they wanted to help uh, us continue to get the word out and say the hard things that maybe nobody else wants to say. But there are some other folks out there saying it too. One of them is uh, the Jonah Project on Skid Row in L.A. and Patrick Ursig. Um, is the director out there, and he's a really hard-working, crazy man. Um, uh, They've got a Facebook page um, and his personal page, Patrick Ersig, E-R-S-I-G. But you can look up the Jonah Project and get lots of information about what they're doing on Skid Row with the homeless and really sacrificing and and God really putting them through trials and then blessing them. They got a new building uh, just recently. It's really cool. And another one is Streetscape Ministries. Uh, in Galveston, Texas, uh, Darren Smith, that I know that uh, I believe they're doing some really good stuff uh, there as well. Um, there's other little points of light all over um, that that are working with prostitution or human trafficking or whatever. But those are two right off the top of my head that, that I I feel like the Lord is really working there and doing some really good stuff.
0: If somebody wanted to do kind of what you're doing, the model that you're uh, that you've done with Liberty Disaster Relief and the other things, can you give some people some pointers, some logistic stuff about picking up the food at grocery stores, about um, the houses, um, the free right. store, anything like that?
1: Right. Um, yeah, there are uh, the grocery stores um, can be convinced. If you show them that they don't have any liability risk, they're worried that uh, somebody's going to eat a bad yogurt and sue them. But uh, the Good Samaritan Act uh, was passed. It's a federal act was passed under the Clinton administration, and it was in response to um, people would get hurt on the side of the road, and doctors and nurses wouldn't stop to help because the malpractice risk is too great. If they they don't have the right equipment, if they if they do anything wrong and the person dies, they're going to go after that that nurse or doctor that stopped. And the Good Samaritan Act protects people like that so that if, if you stop and you do the best you can, um, you're not going to be allowed to be sued, you know. And and um, it also protects grocery stores and restaurants if they want to donate the food. And, and so they're protected completely unless they intentionally poison something, you know, and maliciously, willfully maliciously negligent, I think is the language. Um, but, uh, it also protects the gleaner, which is me, which is the person going and, and gleaning, picking up the leftovers and getting to where they need to go. So it protects me from liability and it protects them, the grocery store that donated it from liability, uh, in all cases federally in every state across the board. And most states have their own law that's comparable that they've passed as well. Um, so if you, if you print that stuff out, um, you, you can find a lot on the Good Samaritan Act by just doing a search on the internet, and uh, the National Restaurant Association has a, a nice little booklet about how restaurants could do more to give food that they 're not going to you know I mean around here, even um, Long John Silvers and Chipotle and Boston Market and all of them are working with harvesters or working with one of the food banks to to give away leftovers as much as they can um, because they get a hundred percent uh, tax deduction on at the retail value of whatever they donate a 50% federal and 50% state, uh, in most cases. So, um, you know, they can get full credit for that banana that was going to go in the trash otherwise. And that, that makes a big difference. You know, we got one grocery store. I just looked this morning when I went to pick up at this one grocery store, we picked up $2,000 over $2,000 of retail, uh, of food. Oh, that was yesterday rather. Um, you know, well, we pick up their six days a week, so that's 300 days times $2,000. They're donating $600,000 worth of stuff from one grocery store. Um, it is a full a full van every morning, uh, dairy and milk and produce and whatever, that would go in the trash otherwise but is still good. It may not have as long a life, but if you can get it into refrigeration and get it distributed within 24, 48 hours, it's fine. Um, and so we managed to feed three, 4,000 people a month off of what would be in the trash otherwise. The FDA says 50% of all the food in America gets thrown away. You know, how can a country survive? How can a world survive when half of all the food we produce gets thrown in the trash and goes bad? You know, and it could be avoided. Um, Something like 6 billion pounds a year that could be salvaged that's going in the trash that wouldn't have to be. Um, Whether it's just because the chips are dated. They're dating bottled water. They're dating Gatorade. Now, just to rotate the stock, uh, but how is a bottle of Gatorade going to go bad? You know, um, for example. So, anyway, um, if they wanted to, uh, they may need to be a five hundred one c three, but they, there's other ways that they could be a nonprofit. One of the one of the best easiest ways is to uh, be formed as a, a unincorporated nonprofit association. And in most states, that doesn't require any paperwork except you, you set up a bylaw and a constitution. Um, and I'm not a lawyer. You may have to register with your state, but it doesn't require a couple of thousand dollars in eight months like a 501c3 would. Um, and it's basically the way like a, a, a youth sports league or a, a baseball league or something like that would, would be an unincorporated association that would be nonprofit for – for the purposes of whatever that it is they're, they're associated for. So your volunteers or maybe just your family and a couple other families would be an association for the purposes of feeding your community. And uh, then you would qualify as a nonprofit and be able to go collect this stuff so that they could get a tax break uh, from it as well. Um, the other possibility is that if you're a church, you don't have to be a 501c3. Uh, in fact, I think God doesn't want them to be a 501c3. Um, if you, uh, you can look that up. The IRS says if you're a church and you meet the basic qualifications of a church, that is your meeting and there's 14 criteria, then, uh, then you're just a church and you don't have to go get a 501 C three. Um, you're automatically non-taxable constitutionally speaking. So, um, and we have a variety of arrangements here for the different things that we do as the Lord has led, but, um, they can just go talk to, um, to the grocery stores and and say, you know, what are you throwing away that didn't have to be thrown away? Because you get a 100% credit on the retail value of that. And there's no liability to you if you donate it and show them on the good Samaritan act. It's only a couple of pages, um, that protects them. Um, I think now is a good time because more and more people are, um, the grocery stores typically are very receptive. Um, the people, anyway, the, 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 people working there, are like, yeah, I hate throwing this away. We throw away so much stuff, I can't believe it. I know people have quit their job at Walmart and other places because they were so disgusted by how much was going in the trash. And uh, the managers, they're of their hands are tied by corporate guys that are worried about law- lawyers and liability and whatever. But um, we got one grocery store. Uh, the manager said, you know, I don't want you telling anybody about this because I could lose my job because the corporate policy is that I don't do this, but I'm feeling God tell me to help you. So just come every day and pick up whatever we got, you know. And so I don't want to dismiss that when you start caring for the poor, God will give you favor like that. You know, we're not doing this out of a big budget. We we manage to support six townhouses, housing 50-some people, um, two food pantries, and a free store. I've got eight leases total, and my total budget is less than $150,000 a year. And we feed three, four thousand people, prepare three thousand meals a month, uh, for the people, the resident, uh, uh, folks, you know, on less than, you know, a lot of, you know, middle six figure, you know, $150,000 a year person maybe can't even survive with the family of five in their big house on that. Um, and I know that it's just God multiplying the bread and giving us favor and, and constantly, somehow, helping us to keep doing what we're doing but I think dollar for dollar we're we're a great investment for the impact that we have um, per dollar but even if it's just you in a minivan working out of your garage put a couple extra freezers and fridges in your garage you can pick them up at a garage sale or tell the folks in your civic group to donate them and, and um, just be a place where people can come we didn't we weren't official with the city we didn't set out to we were just helping folks and it got bigger and bigger and bigger until zoning and the health department and everybody says, Yeah, you kinda need a permit for this You know, you, you kinda if if you're gonna do five hundred thousand pounds of food in the park, you know, we'd like for you to get a special use permit and block off the street and do a block party thing and whatever, you know. And so we just go to the city, it's free, you get a permit to have a block party and have some Christians come play their guitar and sing about Jesus and preach while people are going through the line and pray with them. And there's videos on our website and we've got TV coverage and, and, uh, other folks, they, they can't believe we're just giving stuff away. But Jesus didn't charge anybody when he multiplied the bread and fed 5,000 people. And that was just the men. They didn't even count the women and children. That was 5,000 men. And, uh, and he was a gleaner. Even after they fed everybody, they picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. They didn't throw those away. I'm, I'm sure the disciples were eating on those for a week. You know, and that's, to me, that's the heart of the gospel. What we're doing with people, with food, is what Jesus did with me. He took something that was destined for the trash heap, destined for the incinerator, dusted it off, shined it up, and returned it to usefulness. And and that is the essence of saved, not saved so that you can sit on a cloud playing a harp, but saved so that you can do something that builds the kingdom of God, so that you can do something that shows that you understand the family business. And my, my, my dad was a – my grandfather was a carpenter and woodworker and furniture builder. My dad was a hack, but he tried. and, But it was always – I was always out in the garage with a piece of wood and a nail hammering while dad built mom a towel rack for Mother's Day. And we could give it to her and say, we both worked on it, you know, and, and that was the family business. And, and the father and the son are trying to teach us the family business and it is sacrifice and care for the poor and seeing through his eyes and, and reaching the least of these. And if we are truly going to be saved, then we're going to be saved because we understand the family business, because we understand what we're for. And he's, he's dusted us off when we were destined for the incinerator so that we can help other people. And and when we save food from going in the dumpster, you know, the the guys at the grocery stores will tell you they're thrilled because they have to call the trash company half as often to empty their big dumpsters. And the smell is not as bad because we're taking so much of the produce. I mean, shoot, 12, 15 grocery carts at one grocery store of stuff every day, every day. You know, probably 3,000, 4,000 pounds a day. From four grocery stores we're picking up, and I could pick up from a bunch more if we had a bigger truck and more gas money um and set up pantries all over town i'm I'm trying to get the grocery store themselves. they're getting six hundred thousand dollars a tax break. you know, give me ten grand for a new a new van and some gas, and we'll we'll do this all over town um, all right. so so there's an incentive for them in it and and if everybody sort of understands you know we're in this together. We need to build the systems. We need to get some things in place because I don't think it's going to get better. You know, I think biblically speaking, things are going to get worse and worse. I'm not believing in any recovery or, or you know, um, that the change we voted for or whatever is going to be a good thing. I, I believe things are going to get worse, and I believe biblically it has to happen that way. And and I believe we're unprepared uh, because we're too selfish and greedy, and we we refuse to care for those around us which means they're going to have bigger guns than us and take all our stuff at some point. But I know that in Liberty, there's a thousand people that will take me home and hide me in their basement because I fed them for weeks and months when they really needed it. You know, there's people, there's there's bikers that will take a bullet for me <laughs> because I fed their family. Um, and and I can't say that I have sports figures and lawyers and doctors that that love me but the poor love me and I'm pretty sure that's the way Jesus was. And that's the way he wants us to be. Um, Very good.
0: Well, why don't you, uh, why don't you kind of close us out with some prayer here and uh, we'll just, we'll call it a night.
1: Sure. Thanks Chris. Lord, I thank you so much for this time. Lord, I, I don't know how many people will listen to this all the way through and, but I pray that whatever they hear, that it will touch their heart. That 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 the truth. If I spoke your word, Lord. If if I spoke truth, that it will touch their heart, and that something in them will resonate. Um, that 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 a hunger will burn in them, and that if they don't already have a heart for the poor, um, that you would do whatever you have to do to them, that they would, that they would see the needs around them and see the urgency of the hour, and and see that that's your heart that we're trying to respond to it's 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 we're trying to show you that we understand and are grateful for your salvation that w- wretch that we were you were willing to associate with us and more than that make us a joint heir and and i don't even understand that i, I don't even pretend to understand that but i know that uh that i'm grateful lord and that and that from the gratitude that i have i want to give uh to those around me and Lord, I just, I pray for, for the body of Christ, Lord, that we would be one. And we are so divided and, and getting more divided every day. And I just pray that hearts would begin to turn back to you, that we would be known by our love, not by our ability to divide over the music or, or the order of worship or whether people speak in tongues or not, but that we would just seek you and that we would be known by our love for one another, not by the things that divide us. Please, Lord, that the body would be restored, that in every town everywhere, Lord, that their remnant would rise up and begin to care for those around them. Please, Lord, before we run out of time, we love you and we praise your holy name and we thank you, Lord, for every good thing comes from you. And I thank you in advance for the hearts that, that, that may be touched by this and the impact they may have. And the ripples that will go out, Lord, I pray that uh, that there would be many. In obedience to your command, we pray all of this to the Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen.
0: Amen.